the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We're continuing in our series um, on a book published last year by uh, yours truly called Homecoming. How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And we took a little bit of a deviation and um, basically asking the question, um, what is the biblical identity of we Gentile believers as we become born again, as we get saved, as we except uh, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, and as I started to study this, I, I thought, boy, I was amazed when I started looking at Ephesians 2 and 3 written by Paul to a Gentile church, and again at uh, the book of Galatians written by the Jewish rabbi Paul, again to a Gentile church. And and the nomenclature, the the titles that were given to us Gentiles as we entered into this relationship with, with Jesus was, was phenomenal because, as I mentioned in uh, last week's show, you know I grew up a Catholic. Um, I became a Protestant in my in my early twenties, and uh, probably been a Protestant for now forty seven, forty eight years. And between the 16 years of former, uh, formal Catholic education and uh, all those years being a Protestant, I'm a Protestant minister. I went to Protestant uh, Bible school. And, um, I am credentialed in my particular Protestant denomination, et cetera. But I never heard um, preaching or teaching on what were our biblical identity names when we became either saved and or born again. And so what we've been covering in Ephesians uh, chapters 2 and 3, we were talking briefly, just as a brief review, uh, like the term, do you know or do you realize that you are a member of the Commonwealth of Israel? And people kind of scratched their heads and said, but I'm not Jewish. Doesn't matter. Paul's writing to Gentiles. He's addressing these issues to Gentiles. So we talked about uh, the last uh, show or two, we talked about becoming part of the Commonwealth of Israel. Um, We were also named fellow citizens of this Commonwealth of Israel, fellow citizens with with the Jews. Uh, We were also called members of the household of God, uh, the uh, Jewish Bible called us members of the family of God. And we became part of this construction project that the Father was building with Jesus, um, Yeshua, as he's known in Jewish circles, Messianic Jewish circles, which means he saves, uh, being the chief cornerstone of this building, being built um, and put together with other pieces, other parts of a building, um, in the process of becoming a whole temple, W-H-O-L-E, a holy temple, uh, being built into a dwelling place of God 
in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. We are being built into a dwelling place of God. Call it a, an abode, call it a, a home, call it a residence, call it a domicile, call it whatever you want. But that's that's the whole point of Isaiah 66 chapter, um, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2 when Father God you know, makes the declaration, heaven is my earth. I'm sorry, heaven is my earth. No, start over. How about heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool? And he asks a question. Where is the house that you will build for me? And people think, well, we have this wonderful church building or we have this wonderful congregation building or we have this wonderful temple or we have whatever, we think in terms of brick and mortar and uh, lumber, and Father God's not talking about that at all because he answers his question in the very next verse where he says, um, all these things I've made, referring to the heavens and the earth, but he says, to this one will I look, who is humble and um, contrite and who trembles at my word. So we were realizing, wait a minute, he wants to dwell in a human temple, in a human house. I mean, do we really get taught that? And so all of this commonwealth of Israel, um, references and members of a family, and then now talking about being built into a building that God actually wants to indwell, he wants to embody I mean, were we ever explained that? And then we went on, and uh, in Ephesians 3, we talk about uh, becoming joint heirs with the Jews um, and sharers of the promises. Well, then we have to say, well, sharers of the promises of what? And that's where we want to spend some time uh, this morning. We, I want to go over to Galatians and spend some some time in the verses of what are we going to share with our Jewish brothers and sisters? Now, of course, this assumes when I say Jewish, I'm talking about Messianic Jews who recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is their Jewish Messiah. Um, but when Paul talks about one of the purposes of Jesus is to come and to knock down the wall that divides these two groups, um, this wall of hostility, this wall of enmity, and um, and that is that needs to be done because you can't build a building just with a foundation by itself. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul says the foundation of the building are the Jewish emissaries or Jewish apostles, if you will, and the Jewish prophets. Because when Jesus came, he said in Matthew five, he explained at the Sermon on the Mount hey, I didn't come to do away with the law or to do away with the prophets. I came to fulfill them. I am the one they were talking about. And so he's the promise of the seed. He's the promise of the covenant that was made way, way back in Genesis chapter 12 between God and Abraham. And also you'll see that again in uh, Genesis uh, 15, Genesis 17, and then you'll also see it in Genesis 26 and Genesis 28. Those are the covenants that were made with the Jewish patriarchs. And if you sit back and say, what were the purpose of these covenants? I mean, what was the point? What was God doing? God was in a process of restoration of everything that he had created in Genesis 1 and 2 by giving mankind authority over the material creation, which includes earth, and basically uh, announcing that mankind was to have dominion over the earth. He's to run it. He's to keep it. He's to tend to it. He's to steward it. And this covenant process that begins with a once former Gentile named Abram who travels from the Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq, and um, he hears a voice from God who says, 
you need to get out of Dodge. That's not a literal translation, but you need to get out of here. You need to pull up stakes. You need to take your family. You need to take your as many possessions and belongings that you can. Take, bring your servants and move to a land that I am going to show you. And Abraham obeyed. And there was an offer and there was an acceptance through his obeying. And that was just the beginning. There are additional conversations that we see between um, God, Father God, and Abraham, where his name is changed from Abram over to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And there's a promise that is made from Father God to Father Abraham, which talks about this concept of a seed. Now, let me just take a little pause and go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, where everything had blown up. Um, Adam and Eve, unfortunately, um, uh, bit the hook, so to to speak, of deception, of fraud that the uh, enemy was proposing to them that God really wasn't trustworthy. He was really not faithful. He was really not somebody who you could depend on. Um, and uh, for whatever motivation, God didn't want them to you know, eat the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, impliedly, there were um, assumptions that, oh, well, God's either afraid of you or he's jealous of you and he doesn't want you to become like him, which in reality um, was a lie right up front if Adam and Eve had stopped and, and said, wait a minute, we're already like him. So why are we listening to this, this uh, fallen creature in the form of a, of a snake who's talking to us right now? This makes no sense. And so, but in that curse that comes because as a result of their disobedience in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Father God talks about the seed of the woman, referring to Eve, was going to result in crushing the head of the deceiving serpent. Now, we have to keep that in mind contextually when you're looking at this nomenclature, this, these titles, these uh, references to names of seed or seeds when we get into the letter of, uh, to the Galatians from Apostle Paul. And we talked a little bit about that in our last show. And what I'm doing is I'm going to add to your, the list of who you are according to the Bible when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ as a Gentile. So we've already covered the fact that you are a member of the Commonwealth of Israel. We've already covered that you are a member of the household of God. We've already covered that God's building something in Ephesians uh, 2 and 3, and you're part of the building process where God is actually going to indwell a place where there will be rest, R-E-S-T, finally, between God and man. And, And it's really interesting, the reason I mentioned earlier Isaiah 66 chapter uh, 66 of Isaiah 1 and 2, um, we always assume that God's home is in, is in heaven, and he has to be at rest because he's God. But um, why would God even ask the question or make the statement, where is the house you will build for me, the place of my rest? You see, we're so focused on going to a place thinking there'll be rest there. But when I teach this this approach to the Scripture, I ask people, where did the rebellion against God start? Where did the rebellion against God begin? Because if, if the goal is so I die physically and go to heaven and everything's going to be sweet and light and, and the sweet by and by, and I, I don't know what we're going to do quite up there. When I was a Catholic kid, I was taught, you know, you're going to play a harp and uh, you're going to be on a cloud. And I never understood that because 
my stepfather played a harp, and um, I had to move that harp physically uh, on certain occasions inside the house, and it was a very heavy instrument. And what I couldn't figure out was, how do you play a harp on top of the clouds, as the nuns were telling me in Catholic school, without the harp going right through the cloud? I mean, just things that were told to me as a kid growing up, you know, with the catechism and the and occasional references to the Bible. But when I became a Protestant, I noticed that the same Greek, linear, Western, Hellenized thinking was also in the Protestant church. And it only was after that when I became um, a congregant at a Messianic Jewish congregation uh, here locally uh, that I started to realize, wait a minute, um, this book is really a Hebrew book, contextually, historically, linguistically, culturally. And we have tried to superimpose a Western model trying to take uh, Greek philosophy, which came from Aristotle and Plato and Socrates, and overlay it with a Middle Eastern form of thinking. And Quite honestly, it is incongruent. It is at cross-purposes because the Western framework of looking at things is linear. You go from point A to point B on a straight line. The way the Middle Eastern mindset works is the opposite. It is not linear. It is circular. It starts at a point and returns back to the original point, unlike linear. Circles are different than straight lines. And when you try to take a circular compass, say you were in drafting class, and somebody says, I want you to explain how does a circle look? I mean, what does, describe it. And we want to give you in drafting class, the teacher hands you a 12-inch straight line ruler. And he says, that's the tool that you're going to interpret um, and use for describing a circle. And so there's a long pause, and you're holding a circular compass in your hand, and in the other hand, you're holding a 12-inch straight-line ruler, and you're thinking, am I in the wrong class? This doesn't make any sense at all. It's nuts. And yet we have tried to do that for the last two thousand years as linear thinking western civilization intellectually we are greeks and we have to acknowledge that we have to recognize that that's who we are i'm not saying it's wrong or it's bad but what i'm saying is it's radically different from a middle eastern mindset and we cannot, no matter how we dress up pictures of Jesus, you know, with blonde hair and green eyes and make him look like a Norwegian or a Swede or, you know, whatever, it isn't going to work because Jesus was the fulfillment of a covenant promise from Father God to a man named Abraham, a former Gentile who is now a Jew. And how did that happen? Because of a relationship with God. That's how it happened. He was no longer a Gentile. He became a Jew because he had to acknowledge that if he entered into this covenant, he was going to be of someone. He was going to belong to someone. He was going to pertain to someone relationally, experientially. And as he did that, as Abraham committed himself to this covenant relationship, which was going to be a covenant in blood. If you look at Genesis um, 17 and Genesis 19, what happens there, well, I'm sorry, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, what happens there is there's a covenant sacrifice of uh, animals offered, and God shows up. And this covenant relationship is more than a casual handshake that you have contractually with someone for goods or 
goods or services. Goods or services are fine um, in our business society, but when you start talking a, a blood covenant relationship, that is in a Middle Eastern sense so much more profound. It's so much more deep. It means that it can't be broken except by blood. And so this is very, very serious stuff. And we westernized, Hellenized Greeks don't understand the importance of what happens when you enter into a covenant with God. And this covenant with God, with Abraham, it was demonstrated, it was expressed through Abraham trusting God, depending on the accuracy and the truth of what God was saying to him regarding this promise of land, regarding this this relationship that they were going to embark on. And and these promises weren't, weren't just tied to the land, but they were also a part of an expression to say, what I do with you relationally, Abraham, is going to be a prototype or a model of what I'm going to do with the rest of the people in the nations. And as we said last week, there are only two groups of people in the Bible. There's either the Hebrews slash Jewish people or the Gentiles, the people of the nations. And so the point of this covenant was to be a prototype or an example that as Abraham made a deep covenantal blood covenant relationship with his divine father, he in turn was promised to be a father, even though it seemed like impossible odds. And that was part of the test. He was very much uh, beyond his childbearing age, as was his wife. But nevertheless, the promise was the same. It never changed. And Abraham thought, well, I'm going to help God because I'll listen to my wife because uh, Hagar, uh, her her uh, servant in the household is much younger, and so I'll follow, follow my wife's advice and have the child through Hagar. And we all know the result of that. Didn't work out. Part of this covenant relationship is to show the value of the relationship through obedience, the merit of the relationship through obedience. And in essence, Abraham's relationship with God was going to be a prototype of what the Gentile relationship with God should look like. That's why we have to study this when we're talking about promises to the seed of Abraham with a capital S. Okay, now we'll explain that in the second half of explain that in the second half of the show, and then also the reference to seeds, plural, with a little s. And who does that refer to? Because it's really important to understand that um, the, the Greek westernized goal of what we've been taught of to the point of the Christian, Judeo-Christian walk is so when I die, I get to go to heaven— um, there's no nothing in the Bible that says that's the purpose of what God was doing. We Gentiles, we Greeks, we Westerners made made that up. We invented that, and I, and people are shocked when I say that. And they'll say, "Well, of course it is. It's all over. It's everywhere in the Bible. Jesus came so when I die, I get to go to heaven." And I challenged them, and I said, "Okay, where does it say that in the Bible?" How, where, where, either in the New Testament or the Old, where does it say that was the purpose of why Father sent the seed through Abraham? Very God of very God, very man of very man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that he was sent. What was the reason he was sent? Was it a Greek reason or was it a Hebrew reason? We'll discuss that more in the second half of the show. See you after the break. 
know that the Simple Truth Moment Show features a website where you can access previous podcasts of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Also, previous radio shows, sermons, lectures, sponsored events, books, and publications, along with the blogs by the author and broadcaster, Reverend Earl Clampett of the Simple Truth Moment Show. Just type in www.simpletruthministries.net and click onto the media page and the book publications page. You will learn so much more on how the kingdom of God ways are impacting our current Gentile church culture to rediscover our Hebrew covenant roots and God's blueprint plans to bring together both Jew and Gentile into one new humanity in Messiah Jesus and Father God. It will be a life-changing journey you will not soon forget. So type in www.simpletruthministries.net. It's not .org. It's not .com. Remember .net. God bless. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. Um, I'm going to say the second half of this show probably is seatbelts mandatory. I'm going to put those on because we're going to learn um, some new names that the Bible designates to us as Gentile believers in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. His Jewish name is Yeshua HaMashiach, which is uh, Jesus means he saved. HaMashiach is the Messiah, and Messiah means anointed one. We are going to, in Galatians chapter 3, take a deep dive, and I'm going to read it from the complete Jewish Bible. And I'm going to give you a little background. Um, I think we talked about this briefly last week, that um, Paul was concerned about this group of, um, how should I put this, legalistic uh, Jews, a group of Jews going and following him from Gentile town to Gentile town and basically undoing all of the teaching that he was doing that we are saved by grace through faith, um, that a relationship of faith is what basically um, brings us uh, to Father God, but it's through Jesus and it's by the Holy Spirit and the target is to the Father. And all of that was being challenged um, by this legalistic group of Jews who were saying, nope, 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 you've got to obey the Torah with all of its rituals, with all of its observances, with all of its ceremonial requirements, etc. And, um, and of course, this is uh, after Acts chapter 15, uh, where they have a big powwow of all the um, Messianic Jewish believers in Jesus— who said, what are we going to do with this giant tidal wave of Gentiles? Do we require circumcision of them? Do we require all of the requirements of the law? Or are there just certain things? Because they're don't, they don't have the framework. They just don't have the background. They don't understand this. So um, that's the background when you look at why did Paul write um, the work, the letter to the Galatians, because they were a Gentile church, and they had been visited by this group of Judaizers who had basically um, blown up and destroyed everything that Paul had just taught the Galatians. So he's frustrated. He's more than frustrated. He's angry. And um, so I'm going to read it from the complete Jewish Bible. And Paul is speaking um, in, how should I say, direct terms to them. In the New King James, he starts off in Galatians 3 saying, you foolish Galatians. But if you read the New King, I'm sorry, the the David Stern's version of the complete Jewish Bible, he doesn't call them foolish. He he just, he says, you stupid Galatians. I mean, he's just out there. And he asks, who has put you under a spell before your very eyes, Yeshua the the Messiah, was clearly portrayed as having been put to death as a criminal I want to know just this one thing, asked Paul. Did you receive the Spirit, that's a capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, by legalistic observance of the Torah, commands, or was it by trusting in what you heard and being faithful to it? What he's talking about is his earlier teaching of um, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Are you... That stupid, having begun with the Spirit's power, this is verse 3 of Galatians 3, do you think you can reach the goal under your own power? Verse 4, have you suffered so much for nothing? If that is the way you think, 
Your suffering certainly will have been for nothing. Verse 5, what about God who supplies you with the Spirit? That's a capital S there, referring to the Holy Spirit. And works miracles amongst you. Does he do it because of your legalistic observance of the Torah commands or because you trust in what you've heard and are faithful to it? Which? I mean, it's one or the other. Now, that's me. That's color commentary saying it's one or the other. Now, I want you to listen carefully, starting at verse 6. This starts to explain what we were talking about in the first half of the show. It was the same with Abraham, says Paul. He trusted in God and was faithful to him, and that was credited to his account, his being Abraham's, as righteousness. I'm going to read that again. That's really important. It was the same with Abraham. He trusted in God and was faithful to him, and that was credited to his account as righteousness. Wow. So that's talking about not following this set of rules regarding, you know, the Jewish requirements of ceremonial um, observances and rituals, etc., checking the box. No, he trusted in God and was faithful to him. I'm asking, this is me now, I'm asking a question to you. Isn't that a description of faith? We are saved by faith. He trusted in God and was faithful to him. I really like the way the Jewish Bible um, portrays um, or translates the work of Galatians because faith to a westernized Greek oftentimes just mean you, means you agree, you assent to something in your mind, you agree with something in your mind about facts and figures. And this is different. Listen to this. For faith for the Jews, listen to how Paul's writing this and David Stern is the author of the complete Jewish Bible is saying what faith is. He, being Abraham, trusted in God, and he was faithful to him. And that was credited to his account as righteousness. Look at verse 7. Be assured then that it is those who by living, I'm sorry, who, I'm sorry. Be assured then that it is those who live by trusting and being faithful who really are the children of Abraham. Wow. Let's read that again. Be assured then it is those who live by trusting and being faithful who are really the children of Abraham. Look at verse 8. Also the Tanakh, that's the uh, Jewish word for the Old Testament, foreseeing that God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they live by trusting and being faithful. Told the good news to Abraham in advance. This is Father God telling the good news of what? What was the good news? That God would consider the Gentiles righteous when they also live by faith and trusting and being faithful. And he... And so this, in connection with this promise, this covenant that God was making with the first former Gentile who's now a Jew, he told, he, God, told the news to Abraham in advance by saying, quote, in connection with you, referring to Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. Wow. Wow. That is a promise. That is a part of the covenant that was made between Father God and Abraham. So then those who rely on trusting, this is verse 9 of Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. So then those who rely on trusting and being faithful are blessed along with Abraham who trusted and was faithful. You see the connection here? So what we're going to add is, are you, this is the question, as a Gentile, can you be considered a son or a child or a daughter of Abraham because of your relationship of faithfulness and trusting experientially with God? I'm going to read verse 9 again out of Galatians 3. So then those who rely on trusting and being faithful are blessed along with Abraham, 
who trusted and was faithful. All right, now I'm going to skip on down to verse 14. talks about the, uh, in verse 13, it talks about Jesus um, being the perfect sacrifice on the cross, who he became the curse uh, so that we could be free from the curse. I'm going to start up with uh, verse 14 of Galatians 3. Yeshua the Messiah did this so that in union with him, the Gentiles might receive the blessing announced to Abraham. So that through trusting and being faithful, we might receive what was promised, namely, the Spirit. And that's a capital S on Spirit. So we know that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So let me go back to verse 14 again. This is Galatians chapter 3. Yeshua the Messiah, so this is me saying this, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, did this so that in union with him, the Gentiles might receive the blessing announced to Abraham, so that through trusting and being faithful, we might receive what was promised, namely the Spirit. Okay, so let's go over to verse 16, and this is where we're going with the new title. Now, we were in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 of the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. It doesn't say, and to seeds, plural, as if to many. On the contrary, it speaks of one, and to your seed. And then there's a hyphen there, and it says, and this one is the Messiah. So in other words, the individual promise of the seed coming through Abraham is referring to Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Deliverer, our Savior. And look at verse now 17. This is Paul writing. Here's what I am saying. The legal part of the Torah, which came into being 430 years later, at Sinai, does not nullify an oath sworn by God to abolish the promise in verse 18, for if the inheritance comes from the legal part of the Torah, it can no longer come from a promise. But God gave it to Abraham through a promise. So again, he's addressing the issue of the uh, Galatians who now want to um, believe the Judaizers to say, well, we've got to keep all the regulations, all the rules, all the rituals and observances of the Torah. And Paul's saying, no, actually, the inheritance comes from a promise that was made from Father God to Abraham. Now, let's go down to verse, and I want to go to, here it is. Three twenty nine, Galatians three twenty nine. Actually, three twenty six. For in union with the Messiah, Paul's writing to the Galatians who are Gentiles now. Understand the context. For in union with the Messiah, you are all children of God through this trusting faithfulness. In other words, just like what Abraham had just like what Abraham did. Because as many of you who were immersed into the Messiah, who were baptized into the Messiah, have clothed yourselves with Messiah in whom there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. For in union with Messiah Yeshua, you are all one. Okay? Go down to verse 29. This is Galatians three twenty-nine. Here it is. Here's the conclusion. Also, if you belong to the Messiah, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs, H-E-I-R-S, according to the promise. I want to read that out of the New King James, same verse, uh, Galatians 3.29. And if you are Christ, that's with an apostrophe S, then you are Abraham's seed 
and heirs according to the promise. Now, we're going to study what it means to be an heir of Abraham. Now, I'm going to stop and remind you that's the new title which we Gentiles can add to the earlier list that was in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3. We are now able to say we are not only children of Abraham, we are also the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the original promise that was made from Father God to Father Abraham. And this is important to remember. Um, The promise made to a Jewish patriarch involves benefiting people who are not Jewish, which is the people of the nations. And it says that all of the blessings that come to Abraham will also be to the people of the nations. That's why the covenant was made. It's like a third-party beneficiary contract. It's like you buying a life insurance policy on somebody, and you go down to the insurance company, and you say, I want to I buy a life insurance policy for my spouse, okay? And you go down to Prudential or to um, uh, Hartford or some insurance uh, company that sells life insurance, and you fill out a contract, a promise, and basically your promise is I will pay these premiums so that in the event that I predecease my wife, I die before her, she will receive X amount of life insurance funds from this contract, okay? Well, the spouse isn't there signing the contract. She's not a part of the contract as far as a signatory or someone who signs the contract. And the contract is between the person purchasing the life insurance, it'd be party one, and party number two would be the life insurance company. But there's a third party there who is a benefit of this contract, and that's the spouse who didn't have to read the contract, didn't have to sign it, but she receives the benefit of it between the two people that are initially making the contract, forming the contract, producing the contract. That's what occurred between Father God and Abraham. That contract was formed to the benefit of what we would call a third party, the third party. Party one would be the person who initiates the contract. Party two is the one that that agrees to it and also signs. But party three is someone who was kind of along for the ride. They didn't sign anything. They didn't agree to anything. They just get the benefit. And so when the God tells, Father God tells Father Abraham, this seed is going to come through your lineage and it's going to bless the people of the nations. In using that insurance sort of example, assurance contract example, life insurance, they're the third party beneficiaries. That's the reason Father God made the contract with Abraham in the first place to bless the Gentile nations. You see how this is important? Because you belong to something based on a legal agreement, a covenant, a blood covenant that was made between Father God and Father Abraham. So let's study for a moment what does it mean if I'm an heir according to the promise in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. I want to read that to you again in New King James says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That same verse in the complete Jewish Bible in Galatians 3.29 from David Stearns says, also, if you belong to the Messiah, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. How many of us go around and identify ourselves as Gentiles Um, as the seed of Abraham, as children of Abraham. How many of us go around and identify ourselves as members of the commonwealth of Israel, as joint shares of the promise with the Hebrew people? I would say not many. And the reason is, is that 
we think oftentimes these references are talking about people other than Gentiles, and it's not. Contextually, you have to read to whom was Paul writing? What type of church was the church of Ephesus? It was a Gentile church. What type of church was the church at Galatia? It was a Gentile church. Now, let's. I think we're going to be able to define and, and look at the notion of heirs and what that means in, in another letter that Paul wrote, but this time it was to a mixed church. The church at, um, the church at Romans was uh, basically a mixed congregation of both Messianic Jews and Gentiles. And so if we were promised the Holy Spirit, as the book of Galatians has described, that was part of the promise. Heirs to the promise is the Holy Spirit of God. Take a look at the book of Romans, beginning at verse 8. I'm going to read from the New King James. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's the cap- a capital S there. So it's referring to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free for the law of sin and death. Let's, let's jump on down, still in ch- chapter 8, and let's look at verse 9. So you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Remember what we talked about in the first half of the show? First half of the show, we talked about trusting faithfulness. is talking about an indwelling. It's talking about if Christ, if you are in union with Christ, that's an indwelling. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, this is verse 10 of Romans 8, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit, capital S, is is life because of righteousness. Look at verse 11. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13 of Romans 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, capital S, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Where have you seen that before? Where have you seen that before? In the, in the last three shows where we've covered this in Ephesians and in the book of Galatians. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. What was promised to Abraham because of a relationship that he had with God of trusting and faithfulness? He was promised the Spirit. Okay? Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, of adoption. In other words, you're being adopted into a family. The spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You remember what we talked about? You became members of the household of God. That was in Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so this talks about a spirit of adoption as a Gentile now, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16 of Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. H-E-I-R-S, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Wow. I'm going to read Romans 8. We're running out of time here, so I'm going to have to kind of accelerate this. But look at Romans 8, starting at verse 8.16. And let me find it in the complete Jewish Bible here. Here we are. 
actually to start at 815. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to bring you back again into fear. On the contrary, you received the spirit, that's a capital S, who makes us sons of God and by whose power we cry out, Abba, that is, dear Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are the children of God. And if we are the children of God, then we're also heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with him in order to be glorified with him. There it is. Now, next week, we are going to be talking about what is Christ promised by his Father. And I'll give you a little sneak preview if you want to look at that. That's homework. Look at Psalms chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And take a look also at Psalm 115, verse 16. I think when you read those, you'll be surprised. We're going to come and talk about that next week and talk about what is your inheritance as a son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, and the son of God. See you next time. Hope you have a ton of Simple Truth moments this week. God bless. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal His Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.